RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns are off to another great start in year four of the Billy Napier era. They're 2-1. and one. They head into Sunbelt Conference play, taking on a Georgia Southern team on the road there in Statesboro, Georgia. To give us his thoughts on this matchup, on the job Billy Napier has done with the program in four years, and give us kind of a historical perspective about what's going on as well, is the man who was the longtime sports information director for the Raging Cajuns, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and a man that you can hear and watch on the television broadcast of Raging Cajun football games. My good friend, the one and only Dan McDonald. Dan, good morning. Good day to you, sir. How are you? Doing very well. Glad to see all this weather starting to change. It's starting to feel a little bit more like football season with a little bit of the uh, cooler breeze in the air. And I've, I've been waiting for this because, as you well know, when we do the home games, that camera deck is open air out front of the press box, and it gets hot in that place. Yes, yes, it does, my friend. Yes, it does. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, this season. Obviously, did not start off the way many Raging Cajun fans had hoped for. Dan, uh, kind of a humbling defeat at Texas. They get a win against Nichols, but uh, a lot of things did not go right in that ball game. They looked more like the team, not only from last year, but really the team from 2019 in that win against Ohio. What do you make of what you've seen from the Cajuns so far? Well, it, it sort of reminded me of last year, because obviously last year you had a very special year as far as just the one loss and so forth, and that one loss came on a last-second field goal when when your team is pretty much limited by COVID. Um, but you know, they never, there were a lot of games that they didn't run away and hide from a lot of people. I mean, they played a lot of close games during the year, a lot of one possession games, as they say in basketball. Uh, the Nichols game didn't surprise me like that. You know, I, I knew the Texas game was going to be a tough test. I think that everybody pretty much uh, thought that if, you know, if you're two and one, <laughs> excuse me, if you're two and one at this point, you know, that's probably where a lot of people expected you to be. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. The, the Ohio game, I still don't know how good Ohio is. And I really, to be honest, I don't know how good anybody in the mid American conference is this year. Um, but I think that that sort of was the, was the team that I expected to see once they got to this point. And did I expect them to play better against Nichols? Probably so. But I think Nichols had something to do with that. They had something to prove. Uh, and I and I think they did. I think they're going to do very well in the Southland Conference. But the the Ohio game, you know, hopefully, it gets people back a little bit more excited, a little bit more motivated uh, going into the start of conference play. When I look at this team, they're known for their power running attack since Billy's been there. It's been kind of the hallmark of what he wants to do offensively. And it was a little bit of a slow start. But then they just explode in that game against Ohio, uh, Dan. And Montreal Johnson had himself a heck of a ball game, the true freshman out of De La Salle. Do you think you're, we're going to see more of that that kind of vintage rushing attack that we've seen over the last couple of years now moving forward for the Cajuns? Well, I think you will up to a point. Now, you know, there's a, there's a reason that the Cajuns have been successful, you know, over the last several years with the running game. You know, notably last year, uh, you know, there's a reason that both of those guys, uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis, you know, there's a reason they're still on rosters within NFL teams right now. And there's a reason that there are four Cajun running backs from the last decade 
that are you know active on NFL rosters. I mean, they have been able to to have guys back there that have been pretty special. You know, are do the guys that are there now do they have that same kind of capability? They do, but they're also very young. I mean, they're starting. You know, two of their top three are uh, are first time freshmen in the backfield. Um, it's it's going to take them a while now. The Ohio game, obviously, they showed flashes of what they're capable of being. But, again, I think, you know, school is still out on how good Ohio is. Uh, I think that, you know, they're going to face some more pretty stiff tests as far as people who can, are able to slow down the running game if they really wanted to. Uh, Nichols probably gave a, uh, a good, you know, they gave people a pretty good uh, primer on how that's done. You stack up the box and you dare them to throw it. Fortunately for the Cajuns, Levi Lewis was up to the task in that game, and he threw it all over the ballpark with a lot of a lot of uh, success. So you know, it's uh, it's your you're you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I still think the way to to defend this team is to stack up the box and and try to force them into the throwing game. But uh, yeah, they're going to see a lot of that this year. But you know, I think that these the running backs that they have now. You know, they've got the potential to be just as much of a threat as those guys as they've had in the past. They just need a little time. and uh, That's that's a good thing about the season being four months long. They do have time. Last year, they didn't have a number one guy. They had a bunch of guys that had moments. And then this year, it seemingly is the same way, even though John Stevens Jr. seems to be a big red zone target now in the last couple games. Can they keep winning games and take that next step without a like true old-fashioned number one wide receiver? Uh, I think they can. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there, there are some NFL clubs that, that if you asked who their number one guy was, uh, they might be hard-pressed to give you an answer. A lot of them, it's obvious, but, but some of them you, you really can't. And I think, you know, that's, that's, sort of a, that's sort of a misnomer, I think, sometimes. If you can slow down the number one guy, you can slow down the passing offense. Uh, they do have a lot of targets. They've got a lot of very capable targets. And they've got guys who are very different type receivers. Um, and, it, and it just depends. I think that if there's somebody that if they've got some mismatches, which I think they did against Ohio, uh, I think they will be able to do that uh, several times against a lot of the Sunbelt teams that, are, uh, that have shown in the past that they've been susceptible to the passing game. Uh, I think you can very easily get by without having somebody that you automatically say, oh, that's our number one target. Now, will somebody probably step forward? I think so, that they will. You know, somebody is going to lead this team in receiving. I mean, that's just a statistical fact. There's going to be somebody who's going to wind up with more catches than anybody else. That's just going to happen like that. But I still think that this team is going to have a a lot of people involved in the passing game. I think they had... I think it was 13 different players that caught passes against uh, Ohio the other night. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that's you know I think you're going to see more of that than you see them go after the same target over and over in the same game. And you know we'll sort of see how the as the is the popular stat now how the targets go as the season goes along. But you know I don't think I think they can be successful without uh, you know saying. Here's our number one, and here's the guy we're going to go to. You know, when when we absolutely have it, I think they have several go-to receivers. Dan, I want to get your perspective on this because we just all assumed with 
them having eight super seniors come back, those guys that were taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and having 20 of 22 starters back, that it would be simple, that this team was going to be such a veteran team, they add the transfers, and that it wouldn't be an issue, and that they would just come out and just be gelled and ready to go. And it reminded me a little bit early on of what we saw with the softball team because the softball team had the same thing where they had all those seniors coming back and they had some of the new players they had all this experience and all this talent and it took them a while to kind of get into a rhythm it took them a while to kind of find their mojo so to speak is that how you've seen the football team as well well it sounds like coach speak when you say that every year is a different year but it really is. You know, it doesn't take a lot of individuals being gone and a lot of individ- new individuals coming in to sort of put you in a situation where you have to start finding yourself a little bit. And I think that's what, you know, this team has done, you know. And it's not like they've played bad. I don't think that they have. Uh, they didn't play up their capabilities at Texas. Um, you know, I don't know if they have played fully up to their capabilities. It would have been a much closer game, obviously. Um you know, I'm not going to say right now they didn't play up to their capabilities against Nichols because I still think Nichols had a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, Ohio, I think they probably played their best overall game so far. You know, and I think that'll continue. I think that, you know, the advantage of having seniors, and you mentioned the super seniors, and, you know, that sounds good, but other teams have the same situation. Uh, right. Two, two of the three teams that they've played already this year have 10 or more of guys that got the extra year and were taking advantage of it. So, you know, it's it sounds good numbers-wise, and obviously the numbers of returning starters is just off the charts. That doesn't happen an awful lot. But, you know, even with that, you know, it takes a while. Those same 11 that you start on offense and same 11 you start on defense, they don't play every snap. There are guys constantly coming in and out, and even more so this year because I think there's a big emphasis this year on keeping guys fresh. I think they did that last year. I think they're doing it even more this year from what I can sort of see and sort of look at uh, to try to keep them fresh toward the end of the year when they really, really matter. Uh, you know, do, do I think that they're already looking forward to, you know, trying to be as healthy and, and fresh and ready to go as they can when they play a conference championship game? You know, they won't say that because you always, you know, with the one at a time, you know, next game's the most important. But, you know, in the back of their mind, they're already looking at that Sunbelt Championship game. They're looking at winning the West Division and looking at seeing what happens there. Um, you know, and I don't think there's there's any question that if they get to that point, uh, they're going to have something to prove. And I think that they're going to be, barring any major injuries, I think that they're going to be a better physical team uh, a team that's more ready to play a championship game probably than you know any they've had in the past you know they I think they were in that shape last year and obviously did not get a chance to do that but I think that they will be again this year and I think that's all part of it is is trying to keep the team you know not necessarily focused on what's going to happen tomorrow although that's important focus on what's going to happen next month from now the following month from now I think that that's very much in the back of everybody's mind you know, when Billy Napier was hired, you and I were both at the press conference there held inside the Cajun Dome. And, you know, he talked about culture. And, you know, we've heard this a ton, right, over our years covering teams. We hear coaches and coach speak. 
But it sure does seem like he's been immensely successful in establishing the culture that he's wanted to here at UL with the Raging Cajuns. The guys buy into it, whether that's recruits or coaches or whoever it might be. What do you think is the secrets to his success in his three-plus years now at the helm? Number one, he learned from the best. And um, however you feel positive or negative about Nick Saban, you can't argue with what he's done uh, as far as being successful uh, on the field with national championships and so forth. And that's also a program that you never see getting in any trouble. You know, you don't see the things that happen, you know, to a lot of other programs, guys that, you know, wind up getting arrested and so forth. For the most part, you don't see that, uh, you know, at an Alabama. And, you know, and that's, that's all part of, you know, what, what is popularly termed now the culture of the program. And I think that uh, Billy Napier, you know, sees that, he buys into it, and I think that the players see that he buys in, so they buy in. Uh, you know, I think that uh, not only is he a very sharp football coach as far as, um, you know, as, a, as an offensive mind, he also uh, sort of lets his guys, you know, coach themselves. Yeah, I think he puts a lot of uh, – he is confident in his guys that they will do the right thing. And I think that he, the, the guys see that, and they see that if they do the right thing, they've already seen the success that, that they can have over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know where they rank, but it's in the top ten uh, as far as the overall team record over the last three seasons as far as all the teams in the country. Uh, and, and that's not by accident. You know, I think that, that he has brought that kind of you know, attitude, and I use the term winning attitude, and I don't just mean scored more points on on the scoreboard. I think it means, you know, guys that sort of, you know, they they feel like if they do the right thing, they know they're going to win. It's not an if they're going to win. They know they're going to win, and all they have to do is is sort of do, you know, what they've been coached up and what they've been preached at to do. And I, I think the, the success shows itself. I do think that sometimes um, – you know, because I've been around this program for a long time, uh, that there's some, you know, I think we're, you know, you know, there are a lot of people that are a little spoiled, to be quite honest. Uh, I can remember a time when nobody even dreamed about going to a bowl game. Uh, nobody dreamed about, you know, winning double-figure games within a season. You know, and that hadn't been that long ago. Um you know, Mark Hudspeth brought a, a sort of a different look to the program. He was probably the guy that that program needed at the time, a guy that, you know, that was a, was a motivator and a guy that was, you know, he was a cheerleader for his program. He was a salesman. He, that. he was a salesman. Yeah, he, yeah. he was exactly that. He, he sold a product. He sold it to people, and people bought into it, and they saw the success. Uh, I think when Billy Napier came, he was exactly the kind of guy they needed at the time. He was not the flamboyant guy. He was a guy who said, well, here's how we're going to do our program and, and here's what we're going to do to make it work. And another key thing that, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot, uh, it is the fact that, you know, the university and the athletic administration opened up the pocketbook a lot. And we can say all we want, but the more, the more finances and the more, uh, the, the more things you have, the more things you can do. And they have the uh, they and when I say facilities, I'm not talk, talking about the physical facilities. I'm talking about 
they've got a lot more personnel than they used to have. And you can do a lot more if you've got more personnel and you've got more financial support behind you. They have really opened up the pocketbooks, and that's enabled them to be successful. It was long overdue for that to happen. Uh, but if you're going to be successful in college athletics these days, you've got to have that. And I think they've proven that. Billy Napier comes in, and there's no problems off the field. They're winning ball games. He's recruiting his own backyard. He's recruiting the state of Louisiana. They're competing for conference championships. They were co-conference champions last year. Why don't more people, why doesn't a, an area with over 100,000 people in it come out and show out for Raging Cajun football games? Well, you, you say that the Nichols crowd was a pretty good crowd. I mean, uh, you know, let's be honest, should have been more. Mm, uh, that's fair. I'm, I'm really, um, you know, and, and I probably would will get some flack for this, and some people will probably say something, but, you know, people don't, People who want this program to be successful don't do what they need to do to for it to be successful. People need to come out in droves for this program. If you compare it where it is now to where this program was, uh, let's say, 15 years ago, uh, you know, 10 years ago they were starting to get it going and so forth. You know, I don't understand why people don't come out. There are so many people I hear on a constant basis that. You know, they tell me what should happen in the program. Just, you know, they're, they're, everybody has their opinions. But when I ask them, you know, well, well you know, what did you see when you, when you went to, to the ball game? He said, oh, I didn't go. And, and that just floors me. Uh, you know, and it, it's just, you know, and I, I realize that, you know, that college athletics right now, attendance is down everywhere. And it's down just, you know, on the average pretty much everywhere. Um, but I, you know, it, it just, it steams me a lot of times when, when I hear people talking about what, what we need to do and this needs to happen and why aren't we doing this? And these are people who, you know, maybe they care about the program, but it doesn't seem like they care about it enough to go out to the ball games. Uh, and that's where, you know, that's where if you want to support a program, that's an easy way to do it. I mean, the, the folks at UL have made it simpler, actually, to go and enjoy yourself with a game over the last couple of years. They've, got, they've dropped concession prices. Uh, they have, uh, they've made a lot of free parking areas that they did not have a couple of years ago. Um, they've they dropped the prices on tailgating this year, uh, on tailgating spots. Uh, there are reasonable tickets, you know, to be had you know, within the stadium. And they've made it a great fan experience as far as doing the things, you know, they, yes, they had issues with uh, concessions in the first game. Wasn't necessarily with concessions for the most part. I think more was the infrastructure where they tried to do the, uh, they, they, they didn't have enough, uh, didn't have enough wireless capability to make you, you people were standing there for a couple minutes waiting for their transactions to go through the people who wanted to go grab a beer for two bucks and they had two one dollar bills in their pocket, they didn't have a problem. They zipped up there, they grabbed it, and they walked away. They also had more people hawking in the stands this time. Is it little things like that? They they've made it where you can have a very good fan experience. You know, Wayne Toops performed before the game out on the stage. You know, that's that's free entertainment. You know, you're not just getting that one ticket. You're getting a lot of other entertainment for the weekend. And I just to me, I don't see why people don't take advantage of it. And we're talking football now, but I see it pretty much across the board. 
Um, I see it in a lot of other sports, and you know, you know, you can only you can only do so much to try to get people to come out to your games before you just start throwing your hands up and say, "What else can we do?" I think the people of UL have have done the things that they needed to do, and people just need to respond. People need to come out and go to the games. They need to buy season tickets. And here's the other thing, Dan is. You know, one of the bigger things is, well, you know, the the conference schedule and, you know, playing Texas State or, you know, playing ULM, even though that's an old rival, that's a bad comparison. But, like, you know, playing Texas State or or Troy really doesn't move the needle, right? Okay. They need to be in a better conference. Okay. Let's say I agree with that. Great. How are the Cajuns going to get into a better conference, a more high-profile conference, if they struggle with attendance? That, you understand what I'm saying? Like Lafayette's oh, yeah. not a huge media market, so it's not like a conference is going to go. Oh, well, we got a KDN in the back pocket. Let's let's go there. Uh, attendance is going to be part of that. Facilities are going to be part of that. And Dr. Maggard and the president and everyone's doing a nice job with upgrading the facilities. Our Lady of Lords, obviously serving a huge, giving a huge donation, the biggest gift in program history. But if you don't draw fans. How are you going to get into those bigger conferences? They don't draw as many as Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss. How can you expect to get to Conference USA or the American if you're not drawing enough fans? Well, for one, if people don't think that conferences don't look at that, you're deluding yourself. Uh, they look at the support you have. They look at the financial basis you have within your program. They're going to, you know, if if another conference is looking at a school, one of the first things they look at is uh, is their financial situation and what their budget is and how much support they get from the university and how much support they get from their fan base. Uh, that's one of the first things that they absolutely look at. And you talk about conference affiliation, you talk about a lot of different things. Um, you know, a few years ago, it was, I think it was generally recognized, uh, especially in the formative years that among the the 10 conferences the Sun Belt was number 10 uh as far as and it was and you know and probably should have been it was a brand new conference and had some teams that were not proven on the uh the FBS level uh you know anybody who looks at it with any kind of balanced view will tell you that that's not the case anymore this this league is is in my opinion uh, this league's better than the MAC. This league is better than Conference USA, as far as its uh, especially its football programs. It's better than the Mountain this West. League, this league is is as good, maybe better than the Mountain West. Uh, I don't think there's any question. The Sun Belt's come a long way in football. Now, you know, the American they did have some teams that sort of had some breakout seasons. But some of those teams are gone now or are in the process of leaving. Yeah, going to the Big 12. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What is left in the American? You know, I'm not sure that that is a, you know, I don't think that's really the teams that are in the American. The teams that are at the uh, upper half of the Sun Belt are just as good, if not better, than the teams that are left, I think, in the American Conference. Um, now, I think that we're a long way from being through with all this jumping around. Um, I talked to a, a friend of mine over the past weekend who uh, who follows and, and works closely with the, uh, the Louisiana Tech program, and he said that there's some conversations going on there. They're 
they were very concerned when they started hearing all these rumors and so forth that you know the American Conference is is looking at the Louisiana program. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's happening. It probably isn't. I don't think they're at that point yet uh, from either side. But just you know, it's in the conversation, and I don't think I think we're a long way from being through with all this conference jumping around. Uh, but this team and this program this athletic program overall has positioned itself where opportunities come along. They're in a position to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, But I I think you have to be careful because, you know, is it any better? You know, if, if conference USA calls you tomorrow, uh, I don't think that's any better than what you have right now. I would agree. The American, if the American calls you tomorrow, I think you have to sit back and really think if it's uh, you know if it's a good move to do something like that. There are an awful lot of uh, circumstances and you know an awful lot of issues that need to be cleared up before you make a move like that. You know, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. I, I think that they're very happy right now with the way they they're situated in the Sun Belt. It's it's got the travel partners. It's got the it's got a lot of things going for it right now. It's well set up. Uh, obviously there are things that can be done better, but I think that they're, they're still set up for success. They had success in football last year and, and some other sports. I think they're still set up for that. Uh, but do I expect some changes over the next few years? I think that there will be major changes in how some conference alignments go. But the good thing is I think now they're better, they're better set and they're more ready to make whatever move happens. Uh, if there are any moves that happen, I think they're more ready for it right now than maybe they've ever been. Dan, you've been involved with this program and this university for decades, coming down from North Louisiana, where you were born and raised and went to college at Northwestern State. And You mean you can still hear my redneck accent? <laughs> yes, sir. You can still you still sound like, which, by the way, is a, a, a miracle in itself that you've lived in this portion of the state for as long as you have, and yet you still sound like you're from North Louisiana. I don't know how you do it. It's 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 impressive. Well, I guess I'll have to use my broadcast voice a little bit more. <laughs> you've covered this team a long time. You've been involved with it as the longtime sports information director, Hall of Fame career there, then as a prolific writer for the Daily Advertiser and, and others as a reporter, and obviously you do the broadcast now. My question to you is this. How far do you think the athletic programs here have come along the way since you've been involved with them? Um, I don't think anybody that was on that athletic staff in 1980 when I got here would have envisioned anything like what's going on here. And part of it was because, A, that staff is pretty small. Uh, I think we had 40 people full-time employees working in the athletic department when I got here. And I think last time I counted, it was well over 120 here right now. And that's another example of, you know, being able to provide resources and more, more funding from outside, more funding from the university and more funding from outside through, through the foundation and through ticket sales and so forth. But in order to keep it growing, you've got to keep that money that you've got to keep that money flowing. You've got to have the budgets to make this happen. But, you know, I think that there is you have to in order to get perspective, 
I think you have to go back and look at the way it was back there in 1980 and in the in the 80s and before the turn of the century just to see how far this program come. I think sometimes we get a little short-sighted that we don't look at that. Uh, and I think people who complain about things that maybe aren't the way that, that they envision that they should be, they need to go back and look and see how it was 15, 20 years ago, even more than that. And, you know, I, I think you'll, you'll, you'll feel a little better about yourself if you're a Cajun fan, if you start thinking about how far this program's come. It, it's amazing. And it's just, you know, I look around at sometimes at facilities. You know, I look at that athletic performance center that's there, and I think, you know, this doesn't belong here. This belongs at a uh, at a at a Power Five um, institution. You know, I look at the uh, the that beautiful new baseball field and think how you know I, re- I remember the original Moore Field that I first walked into. Um, it's and you can just go on and on with that, and you know, you just. Sometimes you have to just sit back and uh, and think, uh, you know, how how things have changed. Now, are there things that still need to be done? Obviously, there are. Uh, the uh, the new the coming expansion to the stadium uh, for the for Our Lady of Lords, uh, the facility there uh, is going to be a great thing. That's the one biggest need I think right now as far as facilities. But, you know, when that gets here, you know, then you'll be able to look at, you know, okay, what's next? You constantly have to be doing that. I think they have constantly improved the program over the last four decades. And, you know, the the challenge is to keep doing that. And to keep doing that, I keep going back to it. you got to have support. And they are getting support right now. They just need a lot more. You covered the likes of Jake DeLome, Brian Mitchell, Brandon Stokely, Charles Peanut Tillman, Ike Taylor, uh, Terrence Broadway, Orlando Thomas, uh, some of the greatest players in program history for football you covered. You wrote stories about, you saw them firsthand. Can you give me a guy who was absolutely just the best player, in your opinion, for all the guys that you covered over the years? Oh, well, I, I, I get asked that a lot, and it's very difficult, but uh, but the first guy I think of, because I thought he was a transitional player, was Brian Mitchell. I thought he was ahead of his time. If he played today in the era of the RPO, the run-pass option, uh, he, he he wouldn't have been in the NFL as a kick returner. He would have been uh, he would have been Patrick Mahomes. He would have been Kyler Murray. He would have been you know that level of player. You know if that had been popular then. Uh, even college teams didn't do that. Uh, college teams had to prepare for him differently than they prepared for anybody else. I think he was he was a transitional type player, and I would have loved to have seen him play in an era where his supporting cast was uh, was what the uh, what the program has right now. And you know there are a lot of you mentioned all those great players that have come through here, and and every one of them, you know, was a uh, was a player who made such a huge impact. But I think his, what he was able to do at that time, and in that time, not just in this program, but at that time in college football, was just, uh, was just different. It was, it was spectacular. You were on your edge of your seat waiting for something to happen. And a lot of times it did. And I think that's, uh, that's what sort of puts him maybe one little, quarter of a notch or an eighth of a notch above anybody else that I've had the pleasure to watch. 
What was the favorite game you ever covered that's not the win over Texas A&M? If, if you're talking football, yes, it might be the long ago, almost forgotten win over ULM on homecoming when the Cajuns were down 26 to nothing at halftime and a whole lot of cars were filing out of the parking lot at Cajun Field. I walked outside the press box, I saw cars leaving in droves. And they came back and scored 40 points in the second half. And Lynn Amity was the offensive coordinator, and it was like he just waved a magic wand and everything that he called worked better than his uh, than he even imagined. I watched a, a guy, a friend of mine, and I hope he doesn't get offended, but a slow quarterback named Dwight Prudham go 60 yards up the middle and nobody touched him to score a touchdown. And when, you know when that happened, you thought – well, anything can happen tonight, and anything did. They ended up winning that game, I think, uh, forty to twenty-six, and it just just stands out in my memory for the way things turned around. Now, if you're talking something besides football, uh, I'll go with the baseball team going to South Carolina and winning uh, in the Super Regional and going to the College World Series because that's something that nobody outside the Cajun program ever expected. Yeah, and that that was obviously a landmark event in Raging Cajuns history. We'll wrap it up with this, Dan. You know, you, you've spent so much time over the years covering this team. You already inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. You're inducted into the Sports Information Directors Hall of Fame. You're highly regarded as one of the, the best sports journalists ever. You don't well, have just, to do – That just means you're old. That just means you're that old. That only means you're old. You've been around for too long. You don't have to do what you do. Right. I mean, you could you, you and Mary Beth, you, you guys have a, a great life and you don't have to do what you're doing yet. Here you are still out there, still covering games, calling games, even when you're not on the call, you're there scouting, you're there practicing, you're there preparing. Why do you still have such a passion for this and this in this job and for this program, this university? Because it's fun. I mean, it's just, I mean, when it gets right down to it, you know, sports is supposed to be fun, and, and it still is to me. Uh, you know, it is my way to stay involved, my way to stay around it. Um, you know, being having the chance over the last few years to do all the ESPN Plus broadcasts, I mean, just did one last night for volleyball and had a great time doing it. Um, it it's an opportunity to stay around the, uh, the coaches and the student-athletes who I think are some of the sharpest and uh, and most motivated people that I know. Um, I go back to what Terry McCauley said <clears throat> this year at the uh, at the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame induction. And, you know, famous referee, maybe the best NFL referee that's ever been. Uh, you know, he says that you know there's not you know he he can't, he catch a lot of flack during games from coaches and players, but he said that you know there's not more than a handful of people throughout the whole NFL, coaches, players, everybody, that I wouldn't mind having as neighbors. And and I sort of thought about that. And I said, you know, you know, you're right. People that are involved in athletics are always, you know, if they're successful, they're highly motivated, they're highly intelligent, and they enjoy what they're doing. And that's what I do. I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy being around people like that. And there are an awful lot of them in the sports and in the athletic world. And it, and it makes it fun. You know, I hope I can keep doing this for a while. I, I certainly hope I can. Well, you just 
you set the standard, my friend. You really have. I know you don't like hearing that, but you really do set the standard. And I appreciate you making out the time joining me here on the uh, podcast. I'll get you out of here with this last question. You know, Billy Napier had that great little quote on television against Ohio about, you know, about that fourth down, you know, scared money don't make money. It was very <laughs> kind of a funny little moment from Coach. They're going to make T-shirts for the students to wear during the next game at App State. My question to you is, bud, if we get our hands on one of those shirts for you, uh, would you wear it? Oh, I'll put it on for the broadcast. <laughs> if, they, if they get a camera on me, I'll put it on because he's exactly right. You know, I don't <laughs> care if you're talking about, you know, football or athletics or, you know, whatever you're doing. If, if you're, you know, if you're designing buildings or, or doing something creative or you're part of the space program, he's right. Scared money doesn't make money. Uh, you, you've got to be innovative. You've got to be bold. You've got to have, you know, that desire to succeed. And that's, again, why I love people in athletics. They have that. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of people you want to be around. Well said, brother. Well said. Appreciate your time, Dan. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon, bud. Take care. Thank you so much. That's the former longtime Raging Cajun sports information director turned beat reporter, turned columnist, turned Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. He now does the ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Games, our good friend, the one and only Dan McDonald. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Look, if you want to check out any previous episodes, maybe you missed one, not to worry. Simply go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rap Game Podcast tab, and you can listen to all the archived episodes. Until next time, be safe out there, be kind to one another, and I'll talk to you soon.